0: Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions, WWSD. Interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film, Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they are coming through, actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, way more than a few masters of their craft. Yes, tune in, you gotta see. This the podcast that you need, WWSD.
1: Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to fandom. I'm your host, Josh. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's going great, man. I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm excited too. Yeah, yeah. So who do we have on? Oh, tonight we have a very special guest. We are joined by Jasper Anderson. Jasper is a special makeup and creature effect artist, haunted house effects designer, and special prop maker. He has worked on such projects as The Boys, Titans, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and multiple MCU movies. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're doing good. Doing great. Thank, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, you bet. I yeah, really appreciate it. How did you get started in the uh, the industry as a, a maker, if you will?
0: I mean, I was always making stuff as a kid. I think I kind of started out with like construction paper and scotch tape and just kind of progressed from there. And it was sort of like two paths that kind of converged. I was really into making Halloween props, do a big Halloween display at my parents' house. That's awesome. And then I also was really into filmmaking. At a certain point, I I went to film school and I was thinking that like film was going to be the career and then making stuff was like the fun hobby. And I sort of realized as I was there that actually, like, that's the thing that I really like. And I sort of started to see the ways to kind of incorporate them together and then it kind of became a, a makeup effects for film became sort of my thing. And then through that, I started meeting different people in that field and eventually got to working in special effects shops and getting bigger projects and, you know, it kind of goes from there. Your your family was really into Halloween then? It was me. It was just you? <laughs> it was me.
1: How did that come about? Where do you think that that passion kind of sparked?
0: I think that it was really that Halloween was the creative holiday. Okay. Where, like, yeah, like I really like witches and vampires and zombies and stuff, but I think that what made it cool was that you can kind of make whatever you want and it all works. Yeah. And so I could do sculptures and, like full figure kind of witches and grave digger with pushing a wheelbarrow with a zombie in it. And then also through that, I started doing some animatronics with servos based on other people's designs for the, you know, like a mechanical skull. And then I'd sort of go, well, how can I take that a step further? And I found a book on making uh, foam latex prosthetics for makeups Mm -hmm. and went, oh, I bet I could sort of, adapt that to make a skin for the skull so I turned this talking skull into like a Frankenstein monster (laughs) and you know it's just always kind of like well what else can I do and for Halloween like yeah you can just kind of keep plussing and plussing and I never really got into decorating for other holidays because it just (laughs) was like the one where you could kind of throw everything in and have a lot of fun with it
1: how old were you when you were building the animatronics and stuff like that
0: that was pretty much all in high school. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Were you into like the spooky
1: stuff or like the, the Halloween, like horror movies and stuff like that?
0: Like my Halloween thing was like spooky, a little scary, never got into gory stuff. Like I still don't really watch horror movies. I like like a monster movie. You know, the, the classic universal monsters are kind of my place. Uh, I like the ghost and Mr. Chicken with don Knotts and mm-hmm. the kind of like goofy scary stuff more lighthearted yeah 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 that's the names
1: the namesake of your business right that's
0: right yeah i started by uh, going by mr chicken on the halloween forums online and so then when i started making some of my stuff available to other people i was like well a lot of people do me buy that name so that's what i sort of used as the name for my halloween stuff that other people could buy when
1: you were in school, like, uh, were you really big in like the art classes? Were you doing like drawing and, and sketching, or was it just more of the physical?
0: No, I didn't really do a lot of art in school. It was always kind of my own thing. Or, you know, there would be an assignment, and I would take it like a little too far in the into like a sculpture or something. I did do, I guess, starting in elementary school, I was doing a lot with behind-the-scenes stuff for the school musicals. Mm -hmm. with like sets and then it became actually ended up doing the sound board for a lot of it. It was all, it was all kind of fun stuff. What was that kind of first event that that the
1: major realized that you wanted to just do the, the, the prop making?
0: So I think it was while I was in film school, I was still like interested in makeup effects. There was the, my first book was techniques of three-dimensional makeup by Lee Bagan. And he had learned a lot from Dick Smith, who was the makeup artist who did like the exorcist and the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I found out that you could still get Dick Smith's makeup course, uh, which was like a mail order course, basically. Like he, he basically had written up three volumes of like everything that he learned in his career. He would send it to you and you could correspond with him. By the time I got to it, he was no longer doing the correspondence part. He had passed that on to, one of his students, Andrew Clement, but I figured out that I could sort of trick my college into paying for that course for me. Okay. Let's hear this. No, it was like, a, there was like some different like academic grants that you could get. Okay. And, and I was like, Hey, this is a class that you guys don't teach and I could take it. And I think at first the, whoever looks over those applications was like, no way. And, but I just kept submitting it every semester. And finally, they were like, fine, take it. <laughs> so, so I did the Dick Smith course. And I started, let's see. I also, there was a website called the Effects Lab Forum. And through that, I got hooked up with a guy named Rallis Khan, who's a makeup effects artist who was doing his own Halloween mask line. Um, and he was in L.A., and he was looking for somebody to help him making these masks. And so I reached out and ended up working for him off and on for a little while. And through him, met a makeup artist named Bruce Fuller. And Bruce eventually was working at Legacy Effects and said, hey, they're looking for painters. Do you want to come in next week? And that was my first big uh, shop job. What was that like going into like an actual like big shop like that it was it was nerve-wracking because yeah. <laughs> you know you know that everybody around you has been doing this for a long time and is really really good but it was really cool.
1: How prepared were were you like once you started getting into actual work?
0: It's interesting because I think the main thing that I had learned was problem solving which is just a huge part of that field because every job is a new job and you don't really have time to like prototype it much. You just kind of have to figure it out as you go. And that's the thing that you're delivering the set. So in that way, yeah, like, like having tried and failed to make things in all kinds of different ways, it's like, yeah, I kind of already knew like that glue won't work on that material, but also just knowing how to approach a creative problem, like whatever kind of weird thing we were making that week it really did help to have had the experience of making stuff on my own. But there's also like so much just particular knowledge of like, and being in a shop like Legacy, where there's people who have been doing this since eighties, you know, you've got all these people who are like, Oh no, when we did the Terminator, this is how we did it, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, so it's like, yeah, I, I know how to, figure stuff out, but you've got all these people who have done that specific thing before. And so you learn so much just from being around all these people.
1: Do you remember anything in particular that was surprising to you? Like the, like when you got
0: in there that you learned? I learned that there's actually a lot more correcting mistakes in, in the, the professional world of this. Like you always kind of had this idea of like, oh yeah, every mold is perfect and every casting comes out pristine and <laughs> nope it's like no every every single thing is on a super short deadline and so they only had like half a day to make the mold and 15 minutes to pour it up so yeah you got to spend some time cleaning up and fixing little bubbles and things and and it's all kind of like oh i wasn't doing it totally wrong on my own <laughs> you know like like oh there there are errors in the professional effects world and
1: you always hear like like these big movies like all the blunders and like issues they had and then like on the film like you can't even tell like everything looks flawless yeah and all it's absolutely amazing what you guys do it's so cool
0: yeah it's funny like just how rushed everything is mm-hmm. like you, you you watching a movie you wouldn't think oh this whole creature came together in like a week because that's when they got the call and it just had to happen
1: it's interesting because like the the visual effects guys they have so much longer to do like graphics and like the animation and like all those like big effects the actual practical guys like you guys have like like you're saying like days to come up with stuff it's just so interesting that
0: the time difference between those two yeah and i'd have to guess that it just has to do with like schedules that have already been established before start calling up the shops to get a bid on stuff and
1: Do you think that the industry or like the craft benefits from those kind of time crunches and like, as far as innovation and stuff, or do you think that the industry would be better served by having more time to like hone your creations?
0: I mean, it would be, it would be great to have more time. (laughs) Like when we did new dark crystal series for Mm -hmm. Netflix, and I think we had about six months to prep that. And we made about a hundred puppets in LA and then shipped them to England and they made a bunch more over there. Well, when they did the original Dark Crystal, it was like drawn out over. I can't remember. I want to say it was like five years. Yeah, it was a lot of time. like, like picking up and like, oh, let's play with this a little bit, and then set it aside and come back to it and develop it a little bit more. It's hard when it's all just super fast. You know, you go like, oh, we've got to make like thirty of this thing, so there's no time to like do a test one and make sure that we really like it and tweak things it's like nope you got just enough time to do it all once so you're just kind of going off of what you've learned from previous projects and what you can kind of trust will work in that time there's not usually time to just kind of experiment and see what will work so it would be nice to have more time but you know usually it all comes together in the end so I don't know yeah, because like the the rushing and all like you guys do seem like you innovate
1: more because of like that shorter time spans. For the dark crystal, you, you said you said how many puppets did you guys make then on your team? It was about a hundred. What what were you working off of uh to create those puppets? Where did you have storyboards or did you like where where was like the creative part of that coming from?
0: A lot of it was based on how the puppets had been made in the original, which we didn't even have all of that information at this point. A lot of it was kind of like we have the goal of how you know that what was in the gelfling originally so we can kind of you know reverse engineer what they were doing and then try to think about like well can we improve on any of this for what we're actually working with now but like design wise it was all coming from brian froud who was the designer on the original which is very cool and then his son toby who's a really talented artist sort of overseeing the art side of everything at the Creature Shop. Were you a Dark Crystal fan uh, prior to working on yeah. it? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, it was. It was really exciting when that came along.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. How, how do you uh, kind of communicate what you want creatively? Like, in people that are above you, like, when they, there's a certain design that, that they're trying to get made, how, how do they communicate that when they don't have anything that's, that's created?
0: Largely, it depends on the show or the shop. At legacy effects, a lot of the time, digital sculpture has already been done by the time we find out about it in the, you know, actual shop part. Okay. So that might get 3D printed into parts that we can use, or it might just be for the sake of illustrating the turnarounds of of what it's going to be. I think on Dark Crystal, everything was a drawing from Brian that the sculptors would work with and the costume designers would work with. Sometimes it's just kind of like, okay, you know, this thing, make it kind of like that, (laughs) but, but for the most part, there's a concept and because productions want to know exactly what they're going to be getting
1: most of the time. How how granular did did the roles get with uh, making those puppets?
0: On Dark Crystal, because there were so many, we ended up having people doing like very specific aspects of them. So I was in the fabrication department on that. So, we were primarily doing all of the stuff that's inside the puppets to make them puppeteerable. Mm-hmm. So like we had a couple of guys who were pretty much just making the insides of hands for almost the whole run of it. Um, we had somebody who was working on um, assembling and painting all the mouths, you know, and then, and then even, even, broader than that, you've got sculptors, mold makers, the foam runner, who's taking those molds and running the foam latex skins that the puppets are actually going to be made of. You've got the seamers who are taking those and cleaning up the seams where the molds came together. You've got the painters, hair people doing wigs and punching hairs onto all of them. Oh, and then there's the mechanics who are doing the animatronic servo stuff. And and some of it was just like lever push button kind of things to... Make some of their ears move. But I was doing mainly insides of the gelfling head, taking fiberglass skulls that was basically like the inside of the face and cutting those in a certain way to fit the eyes. And also, what made those particular puppets so complicated was that they're such small heads. But then you got to get the puppeteer's hand in there. And then like the teeth had to sort of be suspended on a wire because that was like all that you could fit. And then so then they're basically like gripping just above the top dentures. And then there's this little foam latex mouth inside of it. And then getting the lower lip glued onto that so that like everything just kind of meets up just so. And then having to support the weight of the whole puppet off of the head. So there was like some kind of strapping, which you can kind of see in there's a behind the scenes documentary that they did on it where you you get some good shots of what's underneath those puppets. Did you do any puppet work prior to Dark Crystal? Uh, Like a little bit. I had done some projects on my own commercials and music videos with like some little tentacles that were puppeteered and and there's a lot of the stuff that we did at Legacy would be sort of puppet animatronic hybrid stuff. Mm-hmm. But the Henson puppet so like there's a there's a specific way that people who come from the Henson school of puppetry want puppets to be that's a little bit different from sort of a more general puppet. Okay. So that was really my first time in puppets sounds funny and i've been fortunate that henson's creature shop has called me back quite a bit since then to do different types of puppets in that world
1: how does that work working with a bunch of different shops are you an employee for these shops or is it like a contract kind of thing
0: it goes both ways usually you're an employee but you're only there for as long as the show is running sometimes you can kind of like you know another show will come in before the one you're working on is done and so you can kind of like stay at one place for a while, then as soon as they run out of projects for you, then you're on your own. And usually though, like there's enough going on in Los Angeles that somebody else needs people pretty quick.
1: And like those shops, like is is it hard like traversing between one shop to another or are they all kind of ran
0: like very similar? They're pretty similar. There's okay. like, there's different sort of cultures about each mm-hmm. one that you kind of like, you almost just have to be there to figure out what, makes it different but there's so much crossover between people from one to another like usually most shops have a handful of people who are permanent there Mm -hmm. but 80 percent of everybody else is bouncing around and you run into the same people at all different places and
1: you you do quite a bit for for like special effects work is there anyone in particular you prefer either like the makeup or like running foam or, or stuff like that
0: I'm so I am sort of like a general purpose artist. I don't really do like lab tech kind of work as much, which is like mold making, foam running, casting. I usually do more in like fabrication, sculpting, painting.
1: Just something you enjoy the most?
0: What I really like is kind of having some ownership of a project and being able to take it through a few stages, but but I really do like sculpting. It's very satisfying. And you do kind of like feel some of that ownership when you can look at it and be like, that's the thing that I put into 3D.
1: Something you wish uh, more people understood about the industry that people just usually don't know about. Huh. Interesting.
0: Hmm. Well, one funny thing is that our sort of area of special effects, creatures, puppet builders is like one of the few areas that actually doesn't have a union. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Which a lot of that, like a lot of the other departments are like, "What are you talking about? You don't have a union." It sort of spans so many different areas that I think nobody really knows what to do with it. Makes sense that they don't have a union because it's
1: it's just all over the place. They could if somebody figured it out.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about your uh, your biggest failure in the industry and like using that from like a learning experience? Like, was there anything in particular? that you really were able to turn into a really good and
0: positive experience? You know, a a lot of the time, if if you make a mistake on a job at an effects shop, there's so many other people around who you can get advice from and kind of figure out how to correct it. But also you learn how to sort of see mistakes coming. Like as as you're working on a project, you kind of learn to look ahead and be like, okay, if I do this, what are the ways that it could go wrong. And so you're always kind of trying to plan for it. I feel like I make mistakes all the time. And it's just becomes about figuring out how to fix it as fast as you can to get back on track. It's almost just like part of it in a weird way. But there's just like so many little things that go wrong on a job. Like uh, just the other day, I was doing something and we had cut a bunch of aluminum tubes to the wrong length. And it's like, nobody was surprised. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, I see why we thought it was that and why it should be something else. And you just sort of go right into correcting it. It's just mistakes are so common that you just kind of get used to
1: it. I find it's really interesting that you guys, that you have to deal with like so many mistakes or or failures or whatever. Like there there aren't a lot of vocations where you get to experience that on like so much, you know, like, is there, does that make you like a better problem solver in other areas of your life as well?
0: The conversations that you have with the people that you're working with, like you get into these rhythms of just like, okay, why are we doing it this way? Should we think about doing something else instead? Is, are we doing this because this worked before, or we're just guessing Gotcha. You know, is, is there a reason that we're on this track or should we consider trying something different? What have you done when you used this glue? Did you have a problem sticking it onto leather or you, you kind of get into these like just back and forth problem solving conversations? And, you know, and, and even people who aren't working on the same project that you're on, you know, people will just come up to each other and go, hey, so I'm working on this. What do you think? I really like that aspect of it.
1: It seems like a really valuable thing, like a really valuable experience to have, you, yeah. you have to connect with people and, and you're also problem solving. You're like dealing with chaos, which is feel like not a lot of people get to do that a lot. Yeah. Totally. It's cool. I mean, is it, is it overly stressful? or Are you able to kind of just cope with it? It's just part of the job.
0: It can be stressful as long as you can correct a problem before it goes too far. It's usually fine, you know? And as long as it's not costing too much money, <laughs> then it's all kind of part of the process, I feel like.
1: And I, I know you you said you kind of always prepare stuff to be like a problem. Are you ever really like surprised when stuff goes right, though? Or are you just always like in that mindset, you just assume everything's going to go wrong?
0: I'm always assuming everything's going to go wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I think that's just me. Yeah, I'm sure people get tired of me uh, <laughs> questioning <laughs> where it's going to go wrong. but But yeah. What's some of
1: the, uh, the the more difficult effects that you, you've had to work on, though?
0: Let's see. I mean, Dark Crystal was really hard just for the volume of puppets that we were doing. I did the math once on how many days per character it actually was, and it was kind of alarming how little time there was on that. And I feel like usually that's what it comes down to is it's not so much that it's a project that was so hard in itself as, as it was just hard for the timeline that that we had.
1: What's been your most enjoyable project so far? Was it Dark Crystal or was it something else? It was a really good one last summer,
0: but I can't talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Muppets Haunted Mansion was really good. That was one where most of my work was digital sculpting in ZBrush and the Haunted Mansion is one of my main influences. And Muppets. Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's great. And so I was actually working in the art department on that. Um, it was for a production designer, Darcy Prevo, I had met a couple of years before on Earth to Ned, uh, which was a TV show for Disney. Plus the creature shop, we made like a giant alien and a smaller alien. It was fun. But for Muppets, Darcy said, I think you should come and join the art department on this job. And I can't tell you what it is, but it's going to be really good. And so it was it was great because it, it was in the height of the pandemic. So I was basically just at home pulling up images of Muppets and Haunted Mansion features like the doors that are all intricately carved. And then she would say, okay, here's the muppet that we're going to carve into wood right here in the middle of the door and she'd do up a like a photoshop drawing and i just get to sit there and and sculpt it and it was like two great things combined and then i also did a lot of 3d printing on that for specific pieces that had to be real because a lot of it on that show a lot of things were just uh virtual backgrounds and then there were specific things where there was you know if they were interacting with the door then we had the real handle real door some real you know props that they would hold like a will arnett's character had a candelabra that i sculpted based on the real one in the haunted mansion but with a little bit of my own detailing involved on it too and so it it was really fun that was one where like watching the show when it was done it was like oh i did that i did that i did that (laughs) it was really cool
1: that's gonna be cool yeah yeah and I know uh, in our pre-show we talked a little bit about you uh, working from home uh, during the pandemic. How does that work with like physically creating stuff, like with NDAs, like like how how do you like kind of handle that, like actually have kind of a physical thing?
0: It's a little tricky. I got lucky that I was working. If there's an NDA, you sign the NDA, and you're kind of you're bound to that anyway. So, hmm. but but I think I got kind of lucky with some of the projects that I. Had for the Creature Shop at the beginning, where they were kind of smaller projects, where it wasn't such a huge concern.
1: Imagine you walking around with like a like a puppet with a sheet over it, like out in public. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't look under what's under the sheet. No, like big (laughs) prop hanging out the back of your car.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we. I mean, I've been on shows where we really have had to do that. Where like there would be a storage building across the street, you'd have to if you're bringing anything back and forth. Yeah, to cover it all up yeah. and cross it over, but but there's other projects where it's so nobody would have any idea what you have in your hands anyway. Just out of context, yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, it's a shiny ball. I don't know. <laughs> Plus, I think you know most of our the the shops don't really look like much of anything from the outside either. So I think it's like random warehouses out in the valley.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I know like with more of, like a digital thing like uh, the 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 way that like that stuff's locked down like via like computers and stuff like that it, it's just, like crazy uh, we we talk to guys at Perception and they do uh, visual effects and so like it's like Fort Knox like their their setups and so it's oh sure cool. it's interesting like you guys can just take stuff and just walk off with it because <laughs> it's not always <laughs> yeah. not if it's like a Marvel show or
0: something oh, but. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: You just, uh, you just, you just put on the, uh, the, the Captain America mask or helmet, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, the helmet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which I did get to work on for, um, uh, which one was it? End game. Um, okay. We were, we were doing that costume at, at legacy effects. And I was one of many people to, to work on the assembly of those Captain America helmets, which was, which was cool. cool. Yeah. Are you a Marvel fan? I really enjoy them. I, I wasn't. Really, before the movie started happening, now
1: that you, you worked on it, you're like, yeah, this is this is cool.
0: Yeah. What uh, what work did you do on the boys? Uh, not much. That was at um, Andy Clements uh, Creative Character Engineering. They do a lot of specialty costume work for probably all the DC shows, and so I think I worked on season two, mm-hmm. and it was specific costume parts for I've never seen the show <laughs> <laughs> wow our listeners just turned it off right there, right there. a train is that his name he's the the speedster yeah yeah he so he had some like shin guards that we spent a lot of time on and I don't I didn't work on the first season so I don't know what the difference was but there was there was something that we were redesigning in the way that it worked but not the way that it looked. So I think it was supposed to look the same, but they wanted to improve the function of it on set. Be like more flexible kind of thing. I don't think it was, I don't actually, I don't even know. I just know that it was because <laughs> I didn't know what the original one was. I just knew that they had changed it and there was a certain way that we were doing it. And then there was a lot of 3d printed parts on that, on a, a lot of those DC, DC shows kind of at the same time. Yeah. Cause you worked on uh, Titans and star girl. Yeah.
1: The suicide Squad as well.
0: Suicide Squad was at Legacy Effects. Yeah. That was actually my first job at Legacy. Was there was um a bunch of these uh soldiers who got turned into monsters with a million eyeballs all over their heads. <laughs> and so we did a bunch of masks of those eyeball creatures where probably five or six of us painting, and you do the the base colors of the the skin, and then it was. Coloring in every single little eye oh, over, no. and it was like, you know, there'd be like over a hundred eyes on each head, and you just close your eyes and you'd see little bubbles.
1: <laughs> you, you mentioned 3D printing. I know you, you haven't been in the industry like that long, uh, but like the older guys, have they like
0: adapted to like the 3D printing, or are they like kind of set in their ways a little bit? Like every shop that I've been at has really embraced it. Okay. It's a little disappointing in some ways because like you've got some really talented model makers who could build anything from scratch because 3D printing makes more sense from a production standpoint. They just don't really get to do that anymore, which is, is too bad because it's really cool to, to actually watch them work when they, when they can really do their thing.
1: Have any of them made that transition to using like ZBrush and doing 3D
0: modeling? Yeah, actually, I'm working with somebody right now who, his name's James Springham, and he, I, I think most of his career, he's been a model maker, and he's, over the last couple of years, just gotten really good at ZBrush, and and he can do that just as well now,
1: which is cool to see. That is that is cool. That's cool that he's able to translate. Mm-hmm. And I know, you like, since you work in like, such a physical medium, like, do you ever, like, just have, like, a disdain for, like, visual effects where they kind of just... Because I I've heard like some other like like people in your industry, like they will design something or they'll do like a makeup and then they just do it in post. They fix it in post completely. And so like their work's just
0: obsolete. Is that is that something is that kind of happened to you? Yeah, it's it has happened. I mean, a lot of the time it's stuff where we kind of know that's probably what's gonna happen. You know, there's stuff like the Iron Man suits in in the last few movies. They just knew at that point that they were going to do the whole thing digital. So we would build partial suits, but not the whole thing because we just knew and and they knew that they were going to end up painting over it. From my experience, it's like, "Eh, what are you going to do? You hope that you get to see your stuff, but you're never really holding your breath for it (laughs) because it is so, a lot of the time it makes more sense to do visual effects. Mm -hmm. There's been a couple of projects over the last couple of years where I remember we were kind of going, well, we're doing this, but they're probably just going to end up changing it later because it would look better in CG. You know? So it's like like such a (laughs) sad thing for practical (laughs) effects guys to say, but sometimes it's true.
1: Because, like, you've worked on stuff where, like, the Dark Crystal is a good example, where Mm -hmm. that that would not look the same if it was done all digitally or, like, if they
0: didn't do actual puppets. No, but also they did do digital augmentation on those puppets. Okay. So one character in particular, uh, Deet, who's the, like, greenish Mm -hmm. gelfling, she's got these really big eyes. And they just kind of decided, like, we're not going to be able to get a good eye mechanism in that head, when there's a puppeteer's hand and, you know, other mechanics in there as well. So that's just gonna be, her eye movement is just gonna be digital in the blinks. And some of those characters did have full animatronic, eye movement, eyebrows, really, really nicely done stuff. But then there were also a lot of characters that were sort of secondary characters. We were thinking of them as background characters when we were building it, but then when they got on screen, kind of realized like, oh no, they're featured, they're just not on all the time, where they would have just a mouth movement and then digital would go in and, and give them more expression, which worked really nicely on a lot of it. And it's a cool trick too, because it does give you certain things that you couldn't otherwise do.
1: Yeah, because said that the hands just weren't like, physically it was impossible to, to do the eye movements.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, like, I, I really do feel like you can tell when you're looking at something that's real. It's just a nice quality to see. And, and yeah. it can get just boring when you're watching something and you're like, oh, this whole scene isn't real. I, I would rather I would rather myself see something recognize that something isn't real and kind of see like oh but somebody made that and I can kind of see I can imagine somebody working on that thing in real life.
1: Yeah, because like, Rob Berman uh, is a really big uh, practical effects guy, and mm-hmm. he he kind of explained that like the digital should be used to, like enhance or like touch up the the physical aspects of those effects, and, mm-hmm. and I I really I really like that when when it is used to enhance but like when they just straight up just replace and all it kind of a lot of those movies lose a lot of their magic and all it does make it unfortunate
0: yeah i i also feel like not having been in the room i'm just speculating but it i always get the impression when a practical effect gets completely replaced by digital it probably wasn't the plan all along and they probably didn't actually get enough time to do the digital work well and so you kind of like like anything where you might say, "Oh, well, that looks like it should look better." It's like, well, they probably didn't really get enough time to do their yeah. job right either.
1: That's that's fair. Okay. Being being a, like in this industry and like having having such close contact with how everything gets made, how does that affect like how you watch movies and how you how you consume that? Like, are are you able to in, enjoy things in the same way you think that other people are, or are you always kind of focused on like how how everything is like was put together?
0: I feel like more often than not lately, I'll I'll be kind of picking things apart, not in a story way, but just kind of like, oh, I see how they, oh, look, that's where that set ends. And then the digital probably (laughs) starts right there. I didn't work on The Mandalorian, but I know the people who did. And so when I watch those shows, I can kind of imagine how they did certain things. Like there was a little, farity kind of critter in one episode and i remember thinking oh yeah that looks like a legacy puppet <laughs> and they probably there's probably a rod there and a rod there and two people <laughs> that's, that's funny because because legacy worked on that it's, that's awesome you have that yeah. kind of background knowledge
1: and yeah. all that's that's so interesting when you watch that stuff would you say like oh i would do it this way or
0: like, are you critiquing in that sense or are you kind of just not usually because okay. the, the thing is like it always comes back to this, this thing of not having enough time. And I can, I just kind of assume like whenever there's something that doesn't that look right, it's like, yeah, they probably didn't actually get enough time.
1: That, right? So you kind of feel for them then. I guess <laughs> you're like empathetic. Like, Oh man, yeah. these guys, if they just had 10 more minutes, do, do, you, do you ever see anything that irritates you? They're like, Oh God, why did
0: they do that? You know?
1: Or is it, is it always like a time thing?
0: No, it, for me also, like, if there's an error, like, I think it's kind of fun because that's kind of the clue to what, how they actually did it. I got you. You know, it's, it's almost like, like you get the box of crackers and there's two of them that are stuck together and you're, and you kind of go, Oh, wait a minute. So these all came out on a sheet and they stamped it out. And for some reason, these two didn't separate at that (laughs) point. It's like, like, that's kind of a thing that my mind has always done, you know, or looking at how a, cardboard box, you know, the, where the printing stops and, Oh, it looks like it's when they cut it out, it's supposed to get cut out right here, but they, it was shifted over a little bit and that's how that machine must work. And when you, when there's a mistake, you kind of see a little bit into the behind the scenes.
1: I got you. So there, there, there was, there was a time, you know, like 20 years ago or so, like you would see CGI and it was very, it was, it was obvious that it, it was computer generated. And things have gotten better. And I, I mean, you, you mentioned that it's all, you, you can always kind of tell when something's real and when it isn't. You see the technology progressing to the point where even, even you, as, as someone who has a lot of knowledge of the industry, would, would not be able to
0: tell. Yeah. I'm, n- I'm not going to remember what it was, but there was something we were watching just the other day where I wasn't sure whether it was a digital or a practical thing. I'm not going to remember it, but it was some kind of creature thing. They got me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: the singularity is coming
0: yeah do you
1: feel like there ever be a point though where like the practical effects are just kind of done with there's everything's gonna be cgi and then
0: fake i could see productions you know leaning more in that direction but at the same time i feel like the practical stuff is really getting good you know like it's it's getting better and i hope that we get some more projects that really embrace it like Well, like those um, the newer Star Wars movies, like they put a lot of practical effects into those. And it Mm -hmm. was really cool to see because it, like you could tell that they really invested in, you know, having a lot of really nicely made creatures and set pieces and stuff like that. I think it's probably going to be sort of a particular case where there's like certain projects that really embrace the practical effects and really do a lot of cool stuff. Because, yeah, I, I feel like there's still a lot of room for it to get better and really do some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, like there's like certain projects that would only really work with like special effects, like puppet, like, the, like a puppet movie or a puppet show. Like you can only realistically have puppets at all yeah. like it. And no matter what, like you kind of still need that that physical or it just doesn't look right. Do you see any trends for like directors and, uh, and the people creating these shows kind of creatively? They want to go in that more practical Direction, you know, like with puppets and like real props and things like that.
0: I don't know if there's trends. I know. Well, and and puppets, puppets is a hard one because that like there are there are directors who really work in puppets. I just did a another TV show for the Jim Penson company where we had a lot of different weekly directors coming in. And a lot of them are like puppet directors, which is a, a really interesting little corner of the industry so i i couldn't really speak to any trends but but it's always interesting to see you know who's really into it
1: you know and is it normally like a budget constraint they would uh, either go uh practical or or visual effects that i don't know
0: okay i i am too far down the totem pole (laughs) to even know what what our stuff costs most of the time
1: (laughs) yeah because i I, we talked to one guy and they're on a movie and there was like Oh, uh, it's just gonna be cheaper if we just do this in, in post with like just doing like a visual effect. Just it's not worth the time to to have them physically do it. And also yeah. I wonder if that if like you're like ever working uh, something and there's like, ah, just forget about it. Let's just do it digitally.
0: Well, and a lot of the time what that has to do with is like the time to set it up on set mm-hmm. because you're paying for every single crew member. Actors, yeah. And all the actors, yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes. It's like, we won't have to think about how much it's costing if we just have somebody go do it in a room later. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: That's the startling. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you like, you started out wanting to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Do you do any other like creative outlets besides like prop making? Do
0: you do writing, directing or acting? Are you interested in trying any of that? Yeah, I really was in the past, but I think so much of my time has been in makeup and creature effects that my, what am I trying to say? I guess my creative outlet lately has been in just like simple little projects for myself. There was the Aurora monster model kits in the 60s Mm -hmm. of like the Creature from the Black Lagoon and Mm -hmm. Frankenstein and Dracula. Those molds are still around and, and every 10 years, it seems like a company will reissue those same little styrene parts. And I've been doing a lot of those the last year or so. That's like they're really wonky looking characterizations of these creatures. But I like I sort of like just the charm of like it's not perfect. It doesn't really matter. It's just fun. <laughs> it's kind of goofy. And that's sort of been the the type of thing that I like to do just kind of on my own on the side, or like paper mache kind of. Monstery zombie faces. (laughs) That's just like goofy stuff that isn't complicated and is just kind of like a few colors, something you can do in a day or two, and just kind of like feel a little accomplishment and not have to put a lot of pressure on it.
1: I really like those projector effects that you have on your on your your YouTube channel. Oh, thanks. How, How do you how do you create those videos that you put into the projector?
0: With those. I did do a bit of After Effects work just sort of when I was thinking that I was going to be more of like a general film kind of person, but I don't do CGI. So when I've done like my haunted tombstone projections, you project it onto like a white tombstone and it looks like a tombstone that, you know, gets darker and older and gets cracks across it and little bugs crawl around it and blood drips down and different little things like that. And those were all different elements that I did in the real world and then composited together. So like I carved a tombstone out of foam and then I'd take a picture of it and then I'd add in a crack and take another picture. I did like red paint elements that I filmed dripping down and and dropped that in as the blood effect and different things like that, which I felt like made them really fun because it kind of had a little bit of that old school practical effects thing. I did another one where I did some water tank ghosts out of cheesecloth filmed on a water with a black background and composited them in. And that's been my approach on those things. I I have a lot of fun with those, but I haven't done one in a little while.
1: Your website does say uh, you do haunted house effects. How did you get the actual haunted house stuff? Is it just like playing off from when you're a kid or?
0: Yeah, well, it started in, in college because I... Didn't have a yard to decorate anymore, <laughs> but I still wanted to work on that stuff because I had so much of my time in high school was coming up with these different effects and props and things. And so I said, well, I'm just going to start making some stuff and, and hope that, you know, other people can use it in their displays. So the the haunted tombstone projection was maybe the first one. And then I did um, a projected head. The, the most complicated one, uh, an animatronic raven kit. So I make different like the head shells and the plastic parts that all the servos fit into and the basically like the understructure of it all. And then people get the pieces and they can assemble it and program it. It's a lot of work for them. <laughs> so it's always kind of really exciting when I see somebody's actually done it. But yeah, and and I know there are some, like it's mostly. Just smaller people just doing their own Halloween thing like I used to do that that get them and put them together. But I know there are some some larger operations that have gotten some of those effects and it's been cool.
1: Have you have any interest of like actually working with like one of the, the big haunted house companies or like Universal Studios for Halloween horror nights? Is that like a kind of like a dream of yours or not so much? It would be cool.
0: I, I know some people who do like the makeup effects at Universal Studios which are always really impressive. seems like a lot of work to do. Yeah, if something came along, I would be really excited to, to be part of it. I was pretty excited. I saw that this last Halloween, the Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman mask that I sculpted was for sale at, at Universal Studios. Oh. So I was like, that's, that's awesome. cool. That's, that's awesome. My, that was my little tiny part. Any
1: dream franchises or movies that you have yet to work on that you really want to work on? feel like Star Wars.
0: Star Wars is a big one. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to honestly do some really cool non-franchise stuff. Okay. You know, like a Guillermo del Toro kind of project. Oh, yeah. I, I put in like one day on Shape of Water when we were working on it at Legacy Effects. But I'd love to have like a bigger part in something like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what do you guys do?
1: Uh, I work in IT. Yeah. I'm a coder. That's cool. Not nearly as exciting as the stuff you work on. <laughs>
0: How do you find people like me? What's your what's your interest that brings you around to that?
1: We like talking to creative people. And I I have a kind of like a bucket list. I want to hit like everything off like a movie production. And Mm -hmm. so like uh, I saw that you worked on like the the Dark Crystal and then like uh, the Boys and and Titans on like a lot of shows I really like. I saw you were doing props. and We actually haven't talked to an actual prop maker yet. A fabricator, so I was like, Oh, this is cool, and like, everything you worked on I was really excited for, especially you also knew like legacy, you worked with legacy, and like mm-hmm. you work with like Brian type to some extent. So, yeah, it's, that's that's kind of how it got to you. But overall, like we're, we're just interested in talking to anyone that that's creative and and here, like how they work. It's been really interesting, like seeing creativity manifest in like diff- different um realms, you know, different mm-hmm. uh parts of the in- yeah. entertainment industry and and elsewhere, you know. So,
0: I imagine you see a lot of kind of surprising crossover too. A lot.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because even like uh, we we talked to a lot of comedians, like their their art form is so similar to like something like yours, and you wouldn't really think it, it's similar because obviously they're making people laugh, and you're making monsters and stuff like that. Yeah. So like you don't really see it, but it, it's a lot of like the the stuff you guys are doing, like from a creative aspect, is very similar, even though you're not doing the exact same type of thing. That's cool. That's what has been kind of surprising. Is like the way like like creative people work, and like I she was like manifest that into like their art and all.
0: Yeah. That's cool.
1: So we, we do actually ask one last question of our guest. Any words of wisdom for anyone aspiring to get into the special effects field or industry that you wish you would have got when you were just starting out?
0: If you want to work in special effects, just start making stuff. You have to love coming up with the project and figuring out how it all works. Yeah. You just, you want to do your own projects so that you understand the scope of it. Because when you're working on a big project, you're one piece of it, but the whole project runs so much smoother when everybody just has the understanding of what goes on in each stage. So, you know, if you're doing the mold for something, just to understand basically how the sculptor works And then how it's going to get used after the final part comes out. Like the people who have the experience of of doing a project all the way through, I feel like really excel. And the more that you do that too, like I feel like it's very satisfying to be able to take a project all the way through. And the more that you do, the better you get, which is probably the biggest part of that. You know, the more experience you get doing stuff on your own, the easier it is to get hired by somebody else for a project where, you know, they can you can show that you have actually done things before. Even if it's not exactly what they're doing, most people in this industry can look at a project and see, you know, which parts of it are relevant to what they might be working on.
1: Jasper, it's been an absolute blast having you on the podcast tonight. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Enjoyed hearing about, hearing about your life and work and all that. It's good. Where can our listeners find more of you and your work?
0: I've got a website that's jasperjanderson.com. I haven't updated it in a while. All my current stuff is, uh, that I can show is on my Instagram. That's uh, jasperjandersonfx.
1: All right, we'll look forward to hearing about your your next show that you couldn't talk about.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Is it slotted for uh, for this year or for next?
0: I think it's this year, but I haven't heard for sure.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out then. That's awesome.
0: Right, thanks yeah. a lot, Jasper. Yeah. All right.
1: We'll see you, man. Have a great night. Have a good night. Yeah, he's so much more attractive than us. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was looking, I was looking at his face. I was looking at our face. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> like, your face is so red. Like <laughs> I know, man. I don't know what the fuck's going on my face right now. So red. It's it's so really red. weird red. Like I was I was doing the <laughs> this is uh this is why people hate the Irish. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the reason.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that was that was that was cool. That was cool. He's a cool guy. Yeah, like he's all, all over the place. Where like I, I feel like we, we usually talk to more people more specialized. They're, they're kind of like they do their one thing, uh, and like like he said, even like like trying to like figure out a union for the type of work he does, like it's impossible because like there's just so much stuff between like pop, yeah. prop building, fabricating, makeup, uh, special effects, like building masks and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> it's just so all over the place. And like he really said, like I'm am a generalist. I I can't do it all, which which is yeah. very interesting. I think there's a real upside in being a generalist in that you, you have more of an opportunity to get a deeper understanding of the entire process. Yeah. I think that equips you to be a better problem solver because you, you understand that everything fits together. You might not like master, take, take one particular area to a level of mastery, but, but there's still a lot of value in like in, in understanding how everything works. Yeah, if you just love the craft, love, love the industry, like that's the way to do it. Cause like you'll, you'll never like not have work. You're always yeah, something yeah. cool we can work on, and there's always like some way to develop and grow. And like he said, like it's just like you learn from experiences and like on that problem stuff just gets exponentially better from every experience you have because like you learn right. like, a new trick. Even or, even with him, he's you know, he's he's like his mind's working when he's watching movies too. So like even, mm-hmm. even that experience, he's getting better. You know, like yeah. everything it seems like has this like alignment in his life where he's able to you know he's, he's just able to create he creates at home he creates at his job that's like, what he likes it's cool yeah and like it's it's not just movies i thought one of the more interesting things was like the the haunted house and, and the halloween stuff and yeah. I, like when i was reading up on it, i'm like oh that's just really cool it's like i love that stuff and it's just yeah. like it's just yeah it's just it's very cool that he he has that he had that opportunity when he was younger to really hone that and then like even now like he, he creates like halloween masks and stuff like that I'm like oh that's too cool it's it's interesting like that 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 there's like a different niche for that than like gore like gory kind of horror. yeah and then like haunted house because you feel like yeah and when it's in like halloween like they're usually like, more to the extreme they're not more into like uh the disney halloween type stuff right, they not, want like more of, of like mansion stuff like, yeah yeah which, which there's a place for it and like and i i do appreciate that because like it is more because I, I don't really care for the gore like the, the gore the no, gore stuff is like either. over the top and all but like i really enjoy like just true halloween stuff and all i just feel like the gore just kind of outshadows it yeah i will not forget though or i will not forgive the fact that he does not watch the boys <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to jasper come on <laughs> maybe it's too violent or something this is kind of a violent thing it's not i know it's not for everybody I guess I'm just that much in love with myself. I have to like see everything I do. I, I wouldn't be able to like. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware. Yeah, But uh, no, very cool guy. Jasper was awesome. We really do appreciate talking. Like, he, he, was, he was a really cool guy. That's all, that's all we have on here. We have really cool guys on here. And girls. Yeah. Cool girls. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up?
0: Is there anything we're really missing? <laughs> no, no. I don't know. <laughs> did, I, did I leave any holes in the, oh, in no, the story? No. no, this was oh, great. No.
1: This was, yeah. this was great.